Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled, Unlikely Heroes. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Back in 1966, President Lyndon Johnston signed the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act. This led to the creation of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or the NHTSA for short. In the decades that have followed, the NHTSA has worked hard to help Americans drive, ride, and walk safely. Some of the administration's most notable accomplishments include in 1985, they helped pass a nationwide child passenger safety law. In 1988, they raised the nationwide minimum drinking age to 21. In 1995, they helped pass nationwide seatbelt laws. And then in 2005, uh, helped lower the blood alcohol level for drunk driving from 0.10 to 0.08. One of the administration's ongoing contributions to public safety is the crash tests that they perform each year on new vehicles. Their work is crucial because automotive crashes are the leading cause of deaths across all age groups in our country. And it's believed that uh, automotive crashes take an estimated $230 billion from the economy each year. New model vehicles are evaluated by simulating types of crashes that they might experience on the road. And then they are given a one to five star rating with five being the highest and the safest. Of course, the purpose behind this testing and wrecking of all these cars is to determine whether each vehicle measures up to the government's safety standards. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there will be times when he will test and wreck your life in order to determine whether your faith measures up to his standards. We're going to continue our series in the Hall of Faith today called Unlikely Heroes. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and pull out the sermon notes in your worship folder. And also want to encourage our men to be the spiritual leaders of their home that God's called them to be by having your Bible open and taking notes as well. If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers can bring one to you. We've got plenty of Bibles to loan out. Our theme verse for this series is Hebrews 11.6. I hope you have it underlined in your Bible. It's a verse worth memorizing. Let's read it out loud together. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The author of Hebrews was writing to a group of uh, new Christ followers who were saved out of Judaism. These young believers were experiencing such intense persecution that it was causing them to consider walking away from Jesus Christ. 
in order to encourage them to press on in the faith, the author recounts the lives of Old Testament heroes who trusted the Lord against all odds and kept the faith. This is why Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. One of the hardest times to live by faith is when we are being tested by the Lord. Thus, our big idea for today is this, living faith enables us to pass faith tests. Living faith enables us to pass faith tests. We all learned in school at one time or another that testing motivates us to learn. I mean, I know we have some teachers in here. Can you imagine if there were no tests to give out to your students? How much would they learn? How motivated would they be? But uh, testing also evaluates how much we've retained and it exposes how much we still have to learn. The author of Hebrews will remind us today that we will be tested from time to time, but we can both persevere and pass by faith because the members of the Hall of Faith did. They passed, and they were just like us. And so as we continue our guided tour through the Hall of Faith with its vaulted ceilings and marble pillars, the author of Hebrews tells us before, before we move on to the next hero, he, he says, wait, last week we learned about how Abraham obeyed the Lord by faith, but there's one more story you need to know about this man. And so before we move on, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 8 I'm sorry, 17 to 19, 17 to 19. It's so by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, notice in, in, in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, just in case I haven't pointed this out before, uh, please notice that before each of the heroes that are mentioned here in chapter 11, there is the prepositional phrase, by faith. And so, so it says, for example, back in verse 4, by faith, Abel. Uh, by faith, Enoch. Uh, by faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. The author does this, I think, to remind us that of the means by which the heroes achieved what they did for the Lord. It wasn't by their own strength. It wasn't by their financial resources. It wasn't by their relational network that they had or influence. It wasn't by their good looks or athletic ability that they accomplished what they did. It was only by having faith in the Lord. Now you might remember me mentioning uh, that Abraham is in the hall of faith twice, making him one of the hall's elite members, or as modern day sports commentators would say, he's a first ballot hall of famer. He is the founder of the Hebrew faith, 
and the foundation upon which the Lord built the Christian faith. Uh, For this reason, and because of his exemplary life of faith, Abraham's often referred to as the father of faith. Now, if you would, please turn with me back to Genesis 22, and let's look and see what what else Abraham did to get himself into the hall of faith. Let's look at this fascinating story about Abraham and his son Isaac. And as you turn there, let me just give you a little bit of context for Genesis chapter 22. Uh, In the early chapters of Genesis, sin had become so rampant uh, in the world that God just couldn't take it anymore. And so uh, he decided to wipe every living creature off the face of the earth using a flood and then to start over again with Noah in the ark. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Things were better for a while as the world repopulated out of Noah's uh, descendants, but once again, the world's population refused, at least most of the world's population, refused to walk with the Lord. And so, the Lord decided, well, since the world won't walk with me, I'm going to build a nation that will. And so he decides to start with the godly man, Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12... The Lord tells this senior saint, I will make you a great nation. In chapter 13 of Genesis, the Lord tells Abraham, I will make your offspring as much or as many as the dust of the earth. This seemed impossible because Abraham had no children. He was 75 years old and thus too old to start a family. In chapter 15, he naturally asks the Lord, these things going to come about that you are telling me about? To which the Lord responds, I will give you a son. In fact, we're told in Genesis 15 verse 6 that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. The Hebrew word for believed in Genesis 15.6 is a a fascinating word because it could literally be read in the original text, Amen, God. When translated, it means to lean your whole weight upon something. In this case, Abraham was leaning on God's promise and his reputation as a promise keeper that the Lord was going to bring about somehow these things that he was talking about. And so finally, in Genesis 21, 25 years after the promise that Isaac would come, his son, Isaac is born. He waited 25 years for the Lord to keep his promise. At the end of Genesis 21, life is good for Abraham and Sarah. After spending most of their lives childless, they were getting to enjoy having a family in the sunset years of their lives. And then all of a sudden, Genesis 22 happens. So if you would look at uh, verses 1 and 2 with me, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Here's the first thing that we can learn from the Abraham story. Uh, Number one, the Lord tests our faith to prove its authenticity. 
The Lord tests our faith to prove its authenticity. Verse 1 says, after these things, God tested Abraham. The word test here in the original text means to try or to prove someone. It also clues us in to the Lord's real intention. Isaac was never in danger of dying. This was just a test to see what Abraham would do if the Lord asked him to sacrifice Isaac. And because God is omniscient, I think he already knew how Abraham was going to respond but wanted to confirm it, and while at the same time showing Abraham how much faith he already had. Remember, testing evaluates where we are and exposes how much room we still have to grow. And so he says in verse 2, Take your son, your only son, I have your only son, underlined in my Bible, that's, that's important. Can you imagine the shock of this request? Abraham had waited a quarter century to get his first son, his first child. Notice, however, the quantitative adjective, only. Value increases as quantity decreases, doesn't it? This was his only son. It wasn't one of several sons that he had, as if he could spare one. It was his only son. This was his answer to years of prayer, years of waiting, and the fulfillment of God's promise to build a nation through him. The best illustration I can think of to try and help you understand um, the magnitude of this request is, is to have you imagine, and some of you have lived through this, to have you and your spouse imagine struggling with infertility for years. And you, you longed to have a family. You watched everybody else in your age group start a family and tried to slay your jealousy. After everything else fails, you decide to go see a fertility doctor. You pray, spend thousands of dollars, have a procedure, Empty uh, your retirement account. Pray again. Spend more money. Have another procedure. Pray again. Have another procedure. And finally, you receive a child after all these years of waiting and trying and spending money. You celebrate with great joy because the Lord finally provided a child. And then, when the child is about 10 years old, the Lord says, okay, I want you to give this child back to me. Despite this audacious request, the Lord wasn't asking Abraham to do anything that he himself would not do. Jesus later said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Notice also in verse 2, the Lord is aware of how Abraham feels about his son. He says that your only son, whom you love. We don't know how old Isaac is here, but 
We see later in the chapter that Isaac's old enough to walk, to talk, and to carry firewood. And so commentators estimate he's maybe 10 to 12 years old. We're not sure. But he's old enough to have seen a few birthdays, to have made some family memories, to form some strong attachments. Regardless, the Lord knows how Abraham feels about his son. He's your only son, and he's the son you love. There's a heart question in each paragraph that we're going to look at this morning in Genesis 22. A question that I think the text uh, has for our heart, a challenge that we need to consider And here's the first one. I think the Lord, through this passage, in these first two verses in particular, wants to ask the question of us, and I think he's asking this to Abraham as well, do you love me more than your family? The Lord knows how strong our family ties can become. So strong, in fact, that family can easily replace him as our first love. And when that happens, we'll try to please family instead of pleasing him because the Lord has wired us to please whomever we love. This is why Jesus said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He obviously didn't mean we literally have to hate our family, although we may sometimes feel that way. Um, the Lord was using hyperbole to make a point. Uh, hyperbole, it's an it's a exaggeration. He, he was trying to say this, your love for me should be so great compared to your love for your family that it would appear you hate them. And, and if necessary, You must be willing to disappoint your family in order to please me. See, what's interesting is that what you really believe about Jesus Christ is revealed when what his word says collides with what your family says or with what your family wants you to do. That's a type of faith test that you may face or you maybe have already. And so, do you love him more than anything or anybody else? Living faith will enable you to pass this kind of faith test. Next, if you would, look at uh, verses three through eight. So, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. Here's number two on your outline. Living faith always produces loving obedience. Authentic, real, living faith produces a desire to love the Lord by obeying him. We see here Abraham's faith in the fact that he didn't question, he didn't ignore, he didn't procrastinate, argue or make excuses when the Lord called him again. He simply packed his gear, summoned a couple of his servants, grabbed his son, and he hit the road. Why? Because God said so. Just as I shared last week from Genesis 12, Abraham didn't require the Lord to explain his command so that it would make sense to him. He didn't require the Lord to show him how things would turn out first or wait until he had peace about it before he decided to do it. He just went. We get a sneak peek of Abraham's faith in verse 5. Maybe you notice this when he says to his servants, I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back again. It seems that Abraham knew he was planning by faith on coming back with his son. Here's the next heart question that I think the Lord was asking Abraham, and I think he's asking us to consider, and that is, can you trust me more than your feelings? Can you trust me more than your feelings? If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you will face the dilemma that Abraham was up against many times in your walk with the Lord. There will be seasons in which you will be forced to accept the reality that you cannot understand what the Lord is doing. No matter how hard you try, No matter how hard you pray or how much you read the scriptures and how much you get counsel and read other books, you still won't be able to understand what God is doing. However, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. He didn't say when you like my commands, you can obey them. He He didn't say when you feel good about it, you can then do it. No, What he was trying to tell his audience in John 14 when Jesus said that was, don't tell me you love me and that you believe in me, but not do what I say. Show me that you love me. And because the Lord is good, we can trust that anything he tells us to do is also good for us. And so we ask, implicitly in the text, do you Trust me more than your feelings. Next, let's look at uh, uh, verse 9. It says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Here's uh, the third point on your outline, the third thing we can learn about living faith. And as the Lord tests our love to prove its sincerity, he tests our love to, pr- to prove its sincerity. There's three quick hidden truths, I think, in, in these verses I want to I wanna quickly point out to you. It says that Abraham took the knife. Notice that Abraham didn't just go to the top of the mountain, light a bonfire, and then say, hey God, we made it, we're going to head back now. Because Abraham knew partial obedience is disobedience. Next, notice how Abraham was told that by the Lord, the angel of the Lord, I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your only son. See, I think Abraham knew that what we withhold from the Lord says just as much about us as what we give to him. Realizing that Isaac was given by the Lord and belonged to the Lord, must have helped Abraham pass this difficult test. And then thirdly, the third kind of implicit truth or principle, I think that Abraham shows us in this paragraph, is that uh, when he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, well, the provision of the ram, it's a reminder that whatever God calls us to do, he enables us to do. This includes providing what we need so we can obey him. So he promises to give us the grace we need, the strength we need. He indwells us with his Holy Spirit so that we can obey and apply his word. And so the heart question that this paragraph asks is, do you love me or do you just love the things I can give you? Unfortunately, because of our inherited sin nature, we are prone to Love what's given more than the giver. Uh, This is why sometimes the Lord will take your job just to see if you remember where that job came from. Or he may allow something to happen to a loved one like your child because he wants to see if you love the child that he gave you more than him. Or he may cause you to take a devastating financial hit to show you that you were loving the money he gave you more than him. So do you love him? Or do you just love the things he can give you? Author David Roper, I I highly recommend David Roper. Uh, He's written some great books and some great devotion books. Uh, He says the Lord has a purpose in calling us to this life of sacrifice where we give things back to the Lord. Uh, Roper writes, this is the story of all whose lives have counted for God. 
they have been willing to put to death the very thing they believed was God's gift to them and have contented themselves with God himself. In doing so, he has made them a source of unique and profound blessing to all. They know. In response to Abraham's faith, though, the Lord gave him a substitute, a ram in the thicket. The ram caught in the thicket is an excellent preview of what we see in the New Testament, what's called substitutionary atonement. Several hundred years later, God the Father provided a substitute for our sins when he offered up his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to. And so there's a little bit of gospel flavoring in here, gospel lining in this story. But because Abraham saw God provide on the mountain, I find it interesting that he named it, The Lord Will Provide. It's in verse 14. Thus, imagine every time Abraham and his family went by that mountain for the rest of their lives, he had sort of a milestone marker there where he could say, that, that, that place right there, that's where the Lord provided. And because he provided that time on that mountain, he'll provide again because he's faithful. So living faith enables us to pass faith tests. Finally, let's look at the rest of the story in verses 15 to 19. And so the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and, and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose, and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Here's number four in your outline, the final truth that we glean from this story. The Lord rewards living faith with his generosity. The Lord rewards living faith with his generosity, and nobody is more generous than the Lord. Nobody can bless more than the Lord. Because you have done this and you've not withheld your only son, this is the same turn of phrase that showed up in verse 12. It's a subtle reminder that the Lord is keeping track of the sacrifices we've made for him like an accountant with spectacles, a microscope, and a ledger. And in verse 17, he says to Abraham, I will surely bless you. This is where God seals the covenant that he made earlier with Abraham and promises to multiply the offspring of this aging patriarch. And as you've heard me say before, we can learn a lot about what the Lord loves by looking at what he incentivizes and looking at what he rewards. In this context, the Lord shows us that he loves sacrificial obedience and he blesses Abraham for it. So the, the heart question that I think is implied in the text is, do you believe 
I can make obeying me worth it. Do you believe I can make obeying me worth it? I think that's the question the Lord is asking us today in these final verses. This is an often overlooked part of Hebrews 11.6 that we, we said out loud together earlier. He must, we must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He is able to turn your losses into gains, your disappointments into purpose, and your wounds into meaningful scars. Some of you listening to my voice right now are wrestling with the following question. If I follow Jesus with a living faith, will it be worth it? Well, let me encourage you to do so because there's not one believer in heaven right now that regrets following and sacrificing for the Lord. In fact, those who did it would say it was worth it. But there are some in heaven who wish they had given him more while they still could. So do you believe obeying him is worth it? Living faith can help you do that. Well, let's talk about a couple applications here. What can we do now that we've heard this story? uh, Here's one that comes to mind. Lean on God's promises. And I'm doing a little play on words there based on the Hebrew word believe from Genesis 15.6 to lean on something holy. Uh, Well, lean on God's promises, not your emotions. Instead of allowing the fear of losing his son to lead him to disobedience, Abraham leaned on the promises of God in order to be obedient. Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us Abraham reckoned to himself, well, God must be planning on raising Isaac from the dead. Because I know that God keeps his promises, and he promised he was going to use my son Isaac to start a nation. You've heard me say this before, if your faith isn't anchored in the truth of Scripture, it will be tossed by the tidal waves of your emotions. And and one of the key stepping stones or upgrades to your spiritual maturity is when you can learn to discern what your emotions are saying, what your flesh is saying, and to be able to parse that, separate it, and then apply Scripture and do what the Scriptures say or to believe what God has said. Over the years, I've had the privilege of knowing some godly men and women while they were being tested. And during these difficult times, I I learned from them, watching them, that they memorized, recited, posted, and sang the promises of God from Scripture. They did crazy things like sticky notes all throughout the house with scripture promises and, and playing music throughout the house that was based on scripture and reciting memory verses throughout the day to combat their emotions. And I would urge you to do the same and I would urge you not to wait until you're tested. You can prepare for that test 
now. Secondly, the second application I think the text is begging us to do, and that is to give God the Isaac of your heart. To give God the Isaac of your heart. Is there something in your life the Lord has given you that you love more than him? Have you allowed something to come between you and your relationship with the Lord? Perhaps it's plans that you've made without him. Maybe it's a relationship, a pet, a loved one, a material possession. Then I want to plead with you to give it back to him. Give it back to him. The 17th century French priest Francois Fenelon shared this insight about Abraham and Isaac. God wants the Isaac of your heart. He wants you to yield up to him all that you hold most dear. Until you do this, you will have no rest. Who is he that has resisted the Almighty and been at peace? Do you want God to bless you? Then give up everything to him and he will be with you. What comfort and what freedom and what strength, what growth we can experience when self-love no longer stands between you and God. So give the Lord the Isaac of your heart. Well, I haven't mentioned this before, uh, but I, I thought it might be worth sharing uh, as, we, uh, as I close. This series is personally meaningful to me uh, because I actually started writing and preaching it for the first time over 10 years ago while I was serving in a dream ministry position. I had gotten to this point in the series, actually, about week five, talking about Abraham and Isaac. I would preached on Abraham and Isaac, and then just a few days later, I had to put that dream ministry position on the altar and walk away. Not because I loved that ministry more than the Lord. There was some other pruning that he was doing in my life that needed to be done. But it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. Like Abraham had to do in Hebrews 11.8, where we learned a couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I had to leave without knowing where we were going. It took me a couple of years to start seeing the good in that painful experience. And I wrestled with the Lord and was angry and frustrated, wondering what he was doing and why he allowed that to happen. But eventually I started to see what he was up to. And, um, but in the years that followed, Maya would occasionally uh, say to me, you need to go back and finish that Faith Hero series. I was really enjoying that. You know, I wish you would go back and finish it. And I would sometimes think about it, but I, I just wasn't ready yet. It was too painful for me because that series, this series reminded me of that time when I had to put that dream ministry position on the altar and walk away. But more than 10 years later, with the Lord's help, I was able to muster up the courage this year to go back and start rewriting it because I've learned a lot more and read a lot more and I'm in a different place in life now. Um, and to re-preach this series. Uh, 
And those of you that know me well know I can never preach the same thing twice. I always have to change it and make it better and improve it and tweak it. And so I suppose I'm sharing this with you because what I'm challenging you to do is something that I've had to do. And so I know it's hard. It's very hard. It's gut-wrenching hard. It's, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And Lord willing, I'm going to get to finish this series this time. And hopefully it'll be better than it would have been 10 years ago. And we'll be able to grow together as we finish this study. So, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there will be times when he will wreck your life and test your faith in order to see whether it's reaching his standards. Sometimes he does it to show us how much faith we still need to grow, and sometimes he does it to show us how much faith we actually have. Regardless, he does it because he loves us, and he has good plan for us. Would you join me as we close in prayer? As we bow in prayer, I just want to give you a moment to give the Lord any Isaacs in your heart. Is there anything the Lord has been asking you to give him that you need to finally give him? Heavenly Father, we know from the scriptures that you are a jealous God. We also know from the scriptures that we know your heart. And so we know that it's good that you're jealous. Because you know that us loving anything else more than you is not good for us. It will never satisfy us. It will never fulfill us. And so, Lord, if there is anything that we've put before you, anything that we've made our first love besides you, would you reveal that, please? Would you open the eyes of our heart and help us to see it? Father, I want to also pray for those who are being tested right now. I know there are some here today or maybe listening online that are being tested. And they're wondering and they're worrying about whether they will pass. Father, would you please help them? Would you strengthen them? Would you, as the man who prayed in in Mark 9, Would you help their unbelief to become belief? And Lord, I know there are others here that are desperately praying and waiting for you to provide. And they need you to provide like you did for Abraham on the Mount Moriah. They need you to pulse something out of the thicket. And they have no idea where it's going to come from. Please, Father, would you provide for their need? 
And would you do it in such a way that it gives them a God story, a testimony that they can share to prove that you're still alive today, you're still working, you're still loving your people. Please, Lord, be be the God who provides. We love you and we thank you for Abraham's story and we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, for giving him up for us, your one and only son. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.